Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Amber Tiemann. Amber is the proud principal of Witt Elementary in Wiley, Texas, speaker, consultant, blogger, and contributor to education right now. Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And Amber, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became an administrator. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's definitely a a convoluted path because I did not mean to end up as an elementary principal. My master's degree is in curriculum and technology, and I had high hopes of being in the technology department and actually only went back and got my administrative certification because someone told me that it would help separate me from other technology applicants. And so I did that and continued along my merry way and got that technology job that I wanted so bad and realized that I, I did not like it. <laughs> it was not where I, I meant to be or what I meant to do. It was a, a bunch of no and we can't and there's no way and that just wasn't how I ever operated. Um, I was used to figuring it out and making it happen, kind of trailblazing your way through all the things, right? Mm-hmm. And so luckily, in the middle of my second year, there was a mid-year opening for an assistant principal. And I applied on a lark and just had my fingers crossed that that was going to be where I was meant to be. And it turned out to be the very best professional decision of my life. And I just didn't look back from that point. I was an assistant principal for five years, four and a half, five years. And um, at that point, decided I was all grown up and could handle a, a principal job of my very own. It is all the things that I loved about curriculum and instruction and professional development, but with my own people. I have my own staff, my own family, 667 of my favorite, cutest, smartest wolves in all the land. And um, that's kind of how I landed where I am. And in your transition from the tech world to administrator, what was your largest misconception as you began your administrative experience? I think that I did not understand how long it would take to develop relationships. In the technology department, I had 17 campuses that I visited as often as you can visit 17 campuses in the course of a a week, a month, or even a year. And so I kind of bounced in and would train you and show you what to do and would work with your kids. And then I would bounce right on out. Um, So when I had my own home at, at a campus, Um, I was there all day, every day, and even though I felt as if that made a huge difference, it really took a lot of time um, to get to know people and to get to know their strengths and to really identify where and how I could assist and help, and I didn't anticipate that. I was used to just kind of being able to blow in and figure it out and then move on, but when I had my own people, it was way more than that. I was there for the pre, I was there for the during, and I was definitely there for the post, so... I think that was the biggest learning curve for me was figuring out what it looked like to be somewhere working with a a group of people each and every day. And so moving from an an assistant principal to a principal, what was the biggest area that surprised you? Oh my gosh. So I blogged as regularly as I can now, but at the time I blogged quite regularly and everything that I did that year that I messed up, (laughs) which were quite a few things, I blogged and hashtagged it the first year. And so that is my 
humbleness of making sure that I always go back and refresh my mind of all these mistakes that I made. And oh, it just, it wasn't pretty, Josh. It wasn't pretty. But <laughs> again, I like to say that I only make the same, I only make mistakes once. I won't make the same mistake twice. I think I got confused about all of the amazing things that I saw and that I read and that I had experienced through all the different opportunities that I'd had as an assistant principal, being connected to incredible award-winning authors and educators around the globe that when I got to school, I was just going to go in and we were going to make all these things happen. And of course they would want to do it with me because they were all amazing things. And my staff was absolutely willing to do all of them, but not at the same time and not at the beginning and not just because I was right. And I think that that was the biggest thing that I learned is that because I said so is a terrible leadership strategy. Mm -hmm. And just because I got to be the boss and could say we were going to do it didn't mean that we should. And it didn't mean that I didn't need the input of the people around me um, in order to make it even more successful. So it was, it was a humbling year, but luckily I came out unscathed and have some incredible people that have surrounded me and are still around. But I think that's the biggest thing is that just because you have a really great idea, it doesn't mean you have to do it. Mm -hmm. And as an administrator, what is one area you want to change in education? Oh, I love that. I think that kids, especially in elementary school, because again, I have a K-4 campus, I think that we have to remember that we have an obligation for students to learn and have a strong academic foundation, but that they can also do that while having fun. That it doesn't have to be, it's not a zero-sum game. It doesn't have to be either or. Either I ride a tricycle and I don't do anything else and, and I don't have an office because I'm busy playing all the time, or my kids do worksheets, 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 homework, 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 and we ace every test. Um, I think that you can have a little bit of both where your kids love coming to school and they feel valued and encouraged, but they also feel empowered to be academically successful in the system that we currently exist in. I think it's a different conversation if you ask, what should the educational system look like versus, hey, what's the educational system that you exist in? Here in Texas, you know, we have our, our distinctions that the state has put out for us. I am associated with that headline of how many distinctions my campus earns. And what that translates down to is the success of my kids. And I want them to be as prepared and as successful as they can possibly be when they leave me. But I also want them to love school. And, and I, I personally believe I can make both happen. And that's genuinely what I try to do every day. And I want to go back to what you said earlier. For those staff members who feel overloaded, how do you create a culture of growth? I let them know early on. When I was named principal, they also sent with me to my campus in a technology initiative, given my background and training and things that I've done. So each teacher added iPads to their classroom. And at the time, Witt Elementary was a 95 and above star exemplary ridiculousness campus and they did not have a whole lot of technology that wasn't something that was a part of their of their world and so not only did they get a new boss but they got this new way of, of thinking about education and learning for our students and I told them that we were going to run or we could walk or we could crawl but that we were all going to go forward in the same direction and that I was going to be there for them when the technology worked when the technology didn't and that that was going to be okay, that every lesson wasn't evaluative and that every conversation wasn't evaluative, but that we were all about moving in the same direction. And I had some teachers who took off running and I had some teachers 
who I just kind of nudged from behind and, and helped move forward. But today, again, because they felt that support and in that general direction, we were all trying to go. And that was a big thing is that I just wanted to see growth. I didn't want to see perfection, just progress, that they had my support. And I think that that really helped along with a few other activities and things that we did where they took risks and they took chances. And I think being open about the things that I did wrong and being able to say I was sorry about mistakes that I had made or those those transparent conversations allowed them to also be authentic and have transparent conversations. And that just made us all the stronger for it. You received the Dallas Down Syndrome Educator of the Year Award. What occurred on your campus for you to receive such an honor? I did. I had a parent on my campus who came to see me in the spring of my first or second year and um, let me know that she had a son, Levi, um, and she knows that I, I tell this story, but Levi had Down syndrome and he was supposed to be a perfect, precious little girl. And when he was born, he was a perfect, precious little boy with Down syndrome. And there was another campus where students with Down syndrome had previously been slotted to attend. They had more support. They had different programs in place. And she wanted Levi to come to WIT. That's where his brothers had gone. That's where she was comfortable and familiar, and she wanted him to come there and be a general education student. She had declined all services and just wanted him to be a gen ed kid. And that was something that hadn't been done very regularly, hadn't been done at my school, hadn't been done in my educational experience. And I told her that, yes, absolutely, we will take Levi and that we would figure it out. And she likes to tell the part where I said, what we look like on day one may not be what we look like on day 187, but that we'll figure it out together. And, and that some days I'm going to cry and some days you're going to cry and some days Levi might cry, but that we were going to do whatever we could to get him to be where she wanted him to be. We all cried and there were some really hard days, but my sweet little nonverbal down syndrome. Oh, I just, I love him. He, uh, Today, I had to tell him to shush because after school, I couldn't hear them calling cars because Levi kept talking to me. Um, he's now in second grade and has a hybrid classroom where he's got some inclusion and some, some gen ed and some special education, but he is doing great and is a part of our school and has just become part of what we do. And I think being willing to have those hard conversations and recognize that it involves some really long, hard days was totally worth it because that's what was best for him and what was best for her family. And it's just made all of us better. Definitely me, for sure. Oh, I love it. What is one initiative you implemented on your campus that you are extremely proud of? Oh, my goodness. Well, I love to brag and celebrate on, again, the cutest and smartest wolves in all the land. And so one of the things that Chris Weger has written a lot about, talking about the changing of the mindset of student awards and what it means to receive an award in elementary school and in life in general. That was one of the first things I tackled that, that didn't go great. And again, where we are four years later is a different place, but we no longer call them awards assemblies. We call them student celebrations. And we recognize students for character, for academic excellence, for being possum. Um, I can make up all kinds of puns. Um, but we do everything and anything to celebrate students so that nobody dreads going to these student celebrations. Everybody's parent is welcome to attend. Our younger grades do portfolio-based activities in their classroom where they get to show off their work and all of the milestones that they've reached. 
for their parents and kids in the upper grades get to celebrate. Um, maybe they've done some education galaxy or maybe they've had a high grade on a unit assessment or maybe they showed grit. But we do a really good job of celebrating kids and, and hopefully changing that mindset as to why it matters that children feel celebrated and successful, even if it's not for the normal perfect attendance and a honor roll type of things. As a principal, how do you handle relationships with parents even when you may not always agree? Oh, my goodness. I am incredibly blessed. So we have a watchdog program at our school, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the great dads being on campus. And we have 667 kids, and I had 400 <laughs> dads sign up. Oh, wow. So we have an obscene amount of, of parents that are involved, grandparents, parents, families, very close-knit neighborhood. Walk to school day. We had 500 kids that walked to school. It's just, it's crazy how much my parents are involved. I think the most important thing, I, I have two daughters. I have an um, almost 17-year-old, which is quite terrifying, <laughs> and an 8-year-old. And they are as different as night and day. And where one something comes easy to one, it's a struggle for the other. And when I sit down with a parent, I try to remember that we're talking about one of the most important things in their world. And my sweet baby girl, she makes me smile every single day. Every single day, I am incredibly reminded of how blessed I am to be her mother. And that teenager of mine keeps me on my toes and keeps me relevant and current and all <laughs> kinds of crazy things. And I try to balance that. And in talking to a parent, I don't want to be right. I want to have a relationship. And you don't always get both. And sometimes I think that we try so hard to make that parent see our side of things, our perspectives of things that we lose sight of the fact that we're damaging the relationship because we're talking about the most important thing in their life. The one hanging over their mantle that they spend every second of the day thinking and worrying about, but I need to make sure you know where I stand. And I just think that that, that does a disservice to everyone. And if I can keep those things in mind and have a respectful conversation where we develop a relationship because we both want what, what's best for that kid, then I think we both can win. And for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? I think that one of the most important things that I have learned and seen as a leader and in working with leaders, I had the opportunity to work with George Kuros several many years ago now on a school administrator virtual mentoring project. Like we started this back in 2010, 11, maybe George and I did. And of of course, George is the mastermind of all the things. But (laughs) one of the big components that came out of it was for people to not lose sight of where they are because of where they want to be. And I think that sometimes we get so caught up in trying to get someplace that we forget where we are and what our purpose is and what we're doing right now. I had the opportunity to hire an assistant principal this past summer, which was an incredible opportunity. And I looked for someone who was engaged, successful, and happy in their current position. I wanted someone who was driven and passionate about the work they were doing in the classroom and were successful at that, who, who, wanted to be good at that because again at the end of the day that's growing our kids and that's what our our goal should be be happy where you are and and seek opportunities to grow and develop in places where you struggle Um, instead of having one foot out the door and just waiting and anticipating that opportunity take advantage of of what you get to do where you are right now 
I, I've given this advice to several to teachers over the years. And, and when you take a step back and you recognize running into another position isn't going to change how you feel about what we do in education. If you can't take advantage of the leadership opportunities in the role that you're in right now, I think that a, an assistant principal job or a principal job or, or any job above a classroom teacher, you just get that much further away from kids. Don't lose sight of, of the opportunity you have to change those lives in a way that nobody else gets to. And I think that sometimes we can lose track of that while we're running down that path to what's next. In addition to your admin position, you speak at conferences, you blog, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond the campus? Honestly, it was just that. It was, I started blogging with my fourth graders as a classroom teacher, and it was a way to connect with parents and a way to leverage opportunities in a way that working in a Title I campus, I didn't have otherwise. My parents didn't come to meetings, they didn't come to events, but if their son Adam was rapping about the science fair on their teacher's blog, then I knew I could engage them in that manner. Um, as a technology facilitator, same. That's how I worked with my teachers. And it became a place and a space where I could be transparent about my journey. And coming from a teacher to a facilitator to an administrator, that's my whole journey on that blog. It's a portfolio of who I am and what I stand for. My teachers know how I feel about things. They know the trials and the struggles of my world. I'm not just a sit in my office, don't ever see me unless I'm upset kind of girl. They can at any given moment connect with me on Instagram or Twitter or that blog and see who I am. And that is, I am casual to a fault. I don't know how to be formal to save my life. Um, not true. I can't have to, <laughs> but my default is super casual. And so I want them to see that and to, and to know that that is who I am and what I do and that I genuinely do it because I feel like we're better collaboratively than when we are competitively um, engaged in working with kids. And I preach that to my teachers and it's because I genuinely believe it. And that's kind of where all of that socialness and all these different platforms have evolved from was meeting incredible people and having incredible opportunities from being collaborative and not competitive. That's a great segue to my next question. For those who haven't had the opportunity to read Education Right Now, can you describe how this book may help our aspiring leaders? Absolutely. Two summers ago, I had the opportunity to go with 10 educators who I am fortunate enough to actually get to call really good friends. And we went to Philly and in a weekend we wrote a book and we all picked a chapter about something that we were passionate about and from flexible learning spaces, to working with community, to my chapter, which was changing the way we think about leadership. It had to do, all of our chapters had to do with education right now. And I addressed the concept that the administrator has to be the mean, scary one that makes all the bad decisions or the one that has to, you know, throw the gauntlet down when, when the case may, may be. But how that's not the administrator that I want to be. I want my students, I want all 667 of them to remember my name and I want them to remember me. I could not tell you my elementary school principal, my middle school principal, my house, I couldn't name them, but I'm fortunate enough in Wiley ISD that, that we focus on relationships and my kids know my superintendent and dadgummit, they know me. I send a postcard to every single kid every single year and I have fifth, sixth graders come back and say, I saved your postcard. It was so great. 
but I want to change the way that administrators are seen so that we are partners and empowerers and growers of little people and big people instead of the one who just signs the checks and writes the evaluations. You also co-created a space on Facebook for principals that shares staff appreciation and motivation ideas. What led you to create such a collaborative space? So once again in life, um, I'm surrounded with amazing, awesome people. And <laughs> via the Voxer, Melinda Miller, who's a principal in Missouri, she and I connected. And last Christmas, we did a holiday gifts for principals. And it was a principals only group so that we could keep secrets from our teachers. Ha ha. But we had... 2,000 educators from across the nation, from all over the place, sharing ways to celebrate the holidays with your staff from here's a template for a scratch off ticket to here's what I gave as a Christmas gift. And here's the words I used in my staff newsletter, things like that. And that evolved after Christmas. We thought it was so fun. We wanted to keep it going. So we opened two more Facebook groups that again are administratively driven, um, one on principal productivity and one on staff morale and motivation and it's the same kind of thing from food potlucks to gift ideas to happy notes or just fun ideas we have over 5,000 people now that that collaborate and share in the space and in fact Melinda and I hopefully this week are going to sign a contract with Dave Burgess to turn those Facebook groups into a book in their lead like a pirate series on appreciation and staff motivation so it has been really fun to see what different people can do and can build on, and we're having a great time doing it. In closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? I think it's the same thing that I thought with as a teacher. It's the relationships that you get to have, the opportunities that you get to have an impact on. I have a staff, a professional staff of 75 people, and I have 667 families. And I get to play a role in a lifetime of memories of what elementary school looks like, of steps in professional careers, of, of what people do and, and who they become. And I love that. I love having them remember me and me get to remember them and to experience things, field trips and life changes and successes. I love that I get to do life with these people. How can our listeners connect with you on social media? Oh, my goodness. They can follow me on Instagram, just at Amber Teeman, and I am 8Amber8. That's me surrounded by Troy Aikman on Twitter, 8Amber8, or at AmberTeeman.com. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Amber, thank you so much for being on the program. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.